Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Hello, Talk Tennis listeners. Before we start, I wanted to let you know about some amazing deals across our three websites all over the world. So first up at Tennis Warehouse, the ASIC Solution Speed FF is priced at $59 right now. That is insane. These shoes are light, speedy, and comfortable, and they're available in tons of color options for both men and women. So be sure to go snag a pair or two or three or four at TennisWarehouse.com. Then over in Europe, right now they're having bargain bin sales which is amazing because that means there's select rackets priced under 100 euros, there's bags priced under 50 euros, and even strings priced under 10 euros. So that's a great deal. Go over to TennisWarehouseEurope.com to get some great gear. Then in Australia at Tennis Only, the Wilson Pro Staff RF97 Autograph Racket is priced at $159.95. You think you can swing Roger's racket? You might as well give it a try at that price. So go make it yours at TennisOnly.com.au. Be sure to keep checking all of our websites for more insane deals. Now, in this episode, I get to chat with two awesome young ladies who have spent some of their career on the WTA playing doubles together. Each of them did play college tennis, and both of them have experienced the ups and downs of tour life. One of them was even entering the BNP Paribas Open in Indian Wells at the peak of her career, ranked 45 on the WTA doubles tour. So we chat about how it can be tough to stay with the same partner for a season, if the WTA and ATP should combine, and how these two are turning their off-season into a positive. Take a listen, and let's go talk some tennis. Welcome to Talk Tennis. Today I have with me two WTA players, and I'm super excited. We've actually never had two players on at the same time. So today, welcome Quinn Gleason and Luisa Stefani. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for having us. Thanks for having me, especially with you. Yes, I'm stoked to have you guys. And I was just to introduce you guys to our listeners. The first time I met both of you was a couple years back. You both came in to play the Templeton 60K Challenger and got a tour of Tennis Warehouse. And we all kind of fell in love with both of you guys. And that was before we even saw you on the tennis court. So <laughs> it's been fun having you guys as a part of Team T-Dub. And I just wanted to talk about like all things tennis and also a lot of like doubles stuff today, maybe. Cool. Good. Love some dubs. Cool. Now, I know you both played college tennis. And I don't know how you guys actually met and how you guys linked up as doubles partners. So maybe that could be a fun story to start with. Yeah. So my co- one of my coaches, Pascal, he was running a group out of Saddlebrook. And he was trying to take a whole group of people over to Belgium for the summer to play tournaments together. And me and Lisa just happened to be part of the same group. We had never met. And Pascal set us up as doubles partners. And I remember I had heard her name before and I was psyched to play with her. And it really worked out well. I was, we had a lot of fun on the court right away. 
That's awesome. Now, you guys are a little separate in age, but is it enough that you would have seen each other in college tennis? Or, or Quinn, you're a bit older. My freshman year, it was your senior year, right? Because I went to college the fall of 2015. And I think that was your last year, starting your last year. Yeah. And I know that we were both like at NCAAs, like singles, but I didn't know you and I wouldn't have recognized you or anything yeah, like that. We, so, we never met. I wish I did, but <laughs> we weren't friends yet. Yeah, I wish I knew her earlier. But like she said, we met in this random trip to Belgium, which was kind of like a, not a last minute, but for me, it was kind of a last minute plan for the summer. Yeah, I trained, I'm based at Satterbrook. So when I found out they were having this group and taking this group of girls and having something very like structured going to Belgium in that case, and it was it was kind of like that. Pascal just set us up and we're like, okay, we'll try it out. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> and I'm glad he did. It worked out. Yeah, we played like three or four weeks in a row. We played together. Yeah, it was fun. It was really fun. Dang, that's awesome. And then the rest is history. You guys are pretty close. Seem like a little bit of a bestie situation going on. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I missed you. Yeah, I haven't fun. seen her in a little while, but we always keep in touch. And I think this is one of the good things about tennis like I made some good friends and Q is probably up there on my list. So maybe you guys can just kind of rewind a little bit and just go through how your transition from college to the pros went and then we'll go from there. Okay, so mine was probably unique. I decided my senior year that I wanted to keep playing and going into college, I was planning to be a doctor. So it was kind of, yeah, I don't know. It came to that decision. I wasn't ready to give up the game yet. But I didn't really have a like an example or a role model that I followed when I went pro. So I kind of was just kind of learning as I went, um, signed up for tournaments. And I became close with a group of girls that I had recognized from college tennis. And they kind of, I asked them a million questions and they were super patient and it was awesome. So I learned a ton just by jumping right into it. I didn't really have a plan, didn't know what I was doing. And it's crazy how much you learn just by doing it. And I, I think it was really a really fun first year for me just being thrown into the situation. I think like literally NCAA singles ended and then the next week I was playing. So I never took a break. I just like continued on and it was a lot of fun and everything was new and obviously all new people and going from like not knowing anyone at tournaments to now knowing like almost everyone. It's it's pretty cool how you meet so many people and experience so much. I went to Romania like a month after going pro with a girl I had just met and she talked me into going to Romania. We're in this like small town and yeah, it's it was, I don't know. It was just pretty cool. I love that. That's probably not the like most professional way <laughs> to do it, honestly. Like I didn't have a plan. I was just going to go out and try my best. I don't know. And you're still out there. So it seems to be working. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Definitely an adventure. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I have so much respect for Q for doing that because it's, I feel like it's very different, like she said. For me, since I was like 14, 14, I moved to the States for the first time. But um, since I started playing tennis, I started liking it more and more. And since at a young age, maybe like 12 or 13, that's when I kind of started wanting to make a living out of it. Like I started having a dream and a vision about it. And so that's kind of how it all started. And then I was really torn in my last years of junior in between going pro or going to school, to going to college tennis first. I ended up choosing college tennis 
And then my main idea was to go for only one year and then stop school and then go pro right away. I ended up loving school so much that year that I decided to stay a little longer. And my second year was the same thing. I was ready to leave. <laughs> I was like, yeah, um, I'm done. I actually took the fall off. I wasn't planning to come to come back. But then I ended up coming back once again for my junior year, playing another season and still enjoyed it. I mean, I loved Pepperdine. I loved the college experience, but I knew, I feel like every year I wanted to go pro and that's all I want, wanted to do every time. And then I was just waiting for the right time. And then after I left school, it was kind of, I was really happy to be there, to be playing on tour. And I was really happy with the lifestyle and I'm still here. I still love it. Now, do you guys think that you need to have a bit of an extroverted personality to really like gel and feel comfortable right off the bat? You mean on tour? On tour, yeah. Like Quinn went out there and like made those friends. <laughs> like that's how I am too. I'm like, hey, you're doing what I want to do. I'm going to figure out how you did that and like make it happen. But I could see someone like maybe a little more shy might struggle a bit more. I'm actually a pretty shy person, especially like not around the tennis. I'm pretty much like I'm definitely an introvert and like throwing myself into that kind of situation is definitely outside of my like comfort zone. Mm -hmm. so I realize that that's the only way to do it. That's the only way to improve and like kind of really learn how to do things. You got to ask questions. You got to make friends. And really the tour is so much better with friends. Once you have friends and once you recognize people, it's a million times more fun. And you just have to kind of push yourself out of that comfort zone, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think everybody has, there's so many different personalities on tour. And for me, I don't, yeah, I'm not very extroverted either. I feel like I had, I was lucky in the beginning. I had a lot of connections in from juniors, maybe like I knew a lot of people. So that kind of makes you feel more comfortable. Doesn't mean I had a lot of friends there, but at least knowing some people were having, being comfortable, like she said, I think it's kind of important. Or even if you're not comfortable, start finding your comfort zone or just getting used to it because it's competitive too like it's not like everyone out there wants to make friends with you so I think you just kind of find your space and like work your way through it see what works for you some people are more introverted some people are like very out there on core off core whatever so I think it's just a matter of like staying true to yourself and like believing in yourself and doing your own thing like not worrying too much about the others but it's a very small world and I guarantee you'll find people that you know wherever you go in the world. Now, I have a question. A lot of people, I think, when they think of professional tennis players, they kind of think of someone like a Serena or Halep or something, and they have this like grand vision of traveling with their entourage and all that. How do you guys travel from tournament to tournament? What does your crew look like? Are you traveling with other players? Do you have a coach always? Talk me through that. I generally travel alone. That's mainly it. I don't travel with a coach most times. Um, rare occasions I will. Um, it's nice to have them at the WTA level tournaments because they can actually coach on court, but mm -hmm. the ITFs, they can't. So a lot of times I'm alone at those, but you kind of meet up with other players. A lot of times I'll stay in housing with other girls. If you're like totally alone, it's really it can be really tough weeks in a row. But if you go with like a doubles partner or other girls, it makes it a lot more fun and a lot more interesting. And then you have like a dependable warm up too, because sometimes that mm -hmm. can be stressful if you can't find a warm up partner. But yeah, mostly I go I go to the tournaments alone, but meet up with other girls and stay in housing with them. Cool. Yeah. For me, I think ideally it's better to travel with my coach so then we can keep working on stuff. Even if you lose or you win, it's always there for support in practices, matches, and everything else. I feel like you can kind of still keep going with the work you're doing, even on the road. 
sometimes that can get very financially um, tough. So sometimes it's even better to share the coach with somebody. I feel like looking back now, I wish I would travel with coach, obviously, whenever I can, if it's possible. I always try to travel with the coach, even if it means splitting with somebody and then getting that extra support. But obviously, sometimes we have to travel alone. I've traveled alone so many times, too. And the good thing about doubles is you always have a doubles partner. And I'm lucky I've had pretty great doubles partners until now. And so... Until now? (laughs) I mean, we'll keep going. (laughs) 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 I mean, up until this point... We're recording this during the quarantine, so no one's playing tennis. That's what she meant. (laughs) Clarify. (laughs) That was so funny. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been having great partners to travel with, and that's been extremely fun. So I'll end on that. The more I talk, the more I'll put myself in the hole, but... Oh, that's so funny. No, that makes that makes sense. Um, And then I was also wondering, talk me through this, because again, a lot of people when they think of professional tennis, they they see the top like 20 players, and they think that's what they know. And there's so much outside of the top 100. So talk me through signing up for tournaments with partners. And I know there's a situation where sometimes you and your partner cannot play a tournament together, and it splits you up. And I know it's happened to you guys. I know it's happened and like you're going somewhere and she's going somewhere else and you have to find different partners and then sometimes something clicks with someone else and it seems a little confusing. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a lot involved, especially when your rankings are different or even if you're in a close ranking, sometimes you don't get into the tournaments that you want to with the person that you would want to play with. So you can you have to figure it out and find somebody who you'd be able to play because it's better to play with somebody who has a higher ranking than not being able to play at all, even if it means you're not playing with your partner or whoever you want to play with. So that's why it's kind of easier to see partnerships once you're higher ranked, because then you can guarantee getting entry in probably all tournaments or most of the tournaments at least. But when I think up until last year, I've had to kind of, you have to go with the flow and then try to play with somebody and then kind of investment. It's kind of, you, you're you not guaranteed anything. So you can try to improve with somebody and get your ranking up together, which will take some, like you might give up some stuff for it. Like you might have to play higher tournaments or lower tournaments, get your ranking up to be able to move up. Or you just have to keep changing and figure out a way to move up until you can finally play together. So I think it's it's complex. It doesn't work as smoothly sometimes. And I think we've all been through it, both of us. Yeah, it's really tough, honestly. And I find that also tough to balance with playing singles, too. Because you want to play singles, but sometimes you might not get in yeah. to the same tournaments as you would for doubles. And it is it's, it's it makes scheduling very difficult and kind of unpredictable. You really got to go with the flow which Luisa is really good at. She's better at that than I am. I'm more of like a planner. I want to know what I'm doing, but something I'm learning to better deal with. Yeah, that's definitely something that I've noticed and heard from a lot of players that, and I've even talked to Haley about this. She had to make a decision at a certain point where like, do I want to continue to work on getting my doubles ranking up or do I want to play singles? Because I'm not going to be able to play singles if I go play doubles in this tournament. Have you guys experienced that? And where are you putting your focus at the moment? Yeah, I mean, last year for me was a big year, big decisions. I think from I was playing both singles and doubles up until March, April or so on. 
But then I had a target to make it to a Grand Slam last year. And I think for that, I would have to give up playing some singles tournaments so I would be able to play doubles at the higher tournaments, more WTAs, and at least try those. And if I could get in singles, great. But if I couldn't, I would sacrifice some of the singles weeks to be able to play doubles. And I think that worked out well for me. It was a risk that I took. It was a big decision because I didn't want to let go of the singles. And I was still playing singles. I just wasn't getting, I didn't get the results that I wanted at the time. And so I invested more in the doubles. I was like, okay, it's fine. I'll get back to singles after. I'll just let the doubles flow since it's going well. So that's what I did last year. That was exactly what I did last year. So now that you mentioned it really, where I am at now, because I my singles rank dropped a lot. But my doubles ranking moved up quite a bit. So I'm kind of happy with that. It's kind of risk and a sacrifice you got to make sometimes. It's funny. I saw like this year, my focus, I decided was going to be singles. And Mm -hmm. I was really going to put all I could into the singles. And the doubles was just going to be kind of bonus or extra. And that that was kind of my mindset. And then I won a bigger tournament in doubles. And I was like, oh, okay, now my doubles are doing better than my singles. So <laughs> it's kind of confusing. And I, I'm still trying to figure it out. Louisa did a great job last year, obviously, of really kind of finding that groove and really taking off. And I'm trying, yeah, I really use her as an example of mm-hmm. how to. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I think it's, it's hard because you want to plan, you want to plan, okay, maybe I'll just play doubles now. But then when you're playing singles and doubles together, sometimes you're not don't have as much pressure in the doubles or mm-hmm. in the singles or vice versa. However, you want to focus. So if you wanted to focus more on the singles, maybe she was more relaxed in doubles and that caused her to do better. And so it's kind of tricky. There's no right way to do it. I think you just everybody has their own way. And that's something I've been really dialing in and into focusing on my path and not really comparing to other players, how they do it and all that. Because obviously everyone is different and I think you can use good examples and kind of be like, okay, I like what she did there. Maybe I could try it and we'll see how it goes. But I think focusing on my own path and like going with my decision and being okay with it was a big step for me last year. So let's say that you are putting your focus into doubles. Does that change the way you're practicing? Are you always practicing singles and doubles stuff? Are you always working on both these ladies have amazing net skills and like your games are beautiful, but like yeah. Quinn's hands are like, <laughs> we, we, we had a chance to film with both of these ladies at the beginning of March and I know Chris like already called dibs on you for his partner. If we ever play like a doubles tournament, he's like, I got Quinn. Um, And Louisa, you're just like steady, steady and always moving forward. And like, you're both some of the most athletic ladies out there. But I am curious if your practice looks different, if you are focusing more on doubles. Well, thanks for the compliments, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> Boosting your confidence. Yes. <laughs> well, for sure. Like now at tournaments, if I'm only playing doubles at the tournament, I'll definitely focus practice on doubles. Now I've been playing more steady with Haley, which I love, but <laughs> let's make sure that's true. <laughs> hey, I love playing with you. And so, no, but just having a steady partner kind of makes things easier in a way where you know what you want to work on or some things that you can keep improving because you're playing a lot of matches in a row or a lot of matches with the same person. So you can plan out more plays and like get more used to what you're doing. So it's easier to practice doubles in that sense. But I still want to stay fit as if I'm playing singles. I still want to keep my singles game sharp 
or I guess try to at least. So when I do get a chance to play singles, I'm ready. But at tournaments, I definitely focus more on the doubles practice because that's what I'll be playing. But this year, I also want to always try to practice singles. And I think both can help each other. So why not? Yeah, I think Louisa kind of covered it there. She could probably tell you more about practicing with the same partner. And I'm sure that helps a lot. I really haven't had the opportunity to do that as much as her and Haley. But I can see that like their improvement as a team, it was like crazy to see how well they really just took off and mm-hmm. they really know where each other are on the court. And I think that comes from like practicing with your partner and just being on the same page and kind of understanding where they are. So, Quinn, this question's for you. Uh, you and Kat Harrison won a doubles tournament earlier this year. And are you guys looking to play again together? Or are you kind of, well, obviously, we're in such an interesting situation because <laughs> we actually have no idea when tournaments will start again at this point. But if tournaments start again, let's say in August or September, um, and you were to sign up for, get a get in a tournament, do you think you would stick with her? Or are you always kind of like still looking for someone that you gel with? Or does it kind of depend on where you go for each tournament? So going into the clay season, because we were about to go into the clay season, mm-hmm. Kat doesn't like clay. So she was actually thinking of going to Asia while I play the clay. So we were kind of splitting up, but we both agreed that like we loved playing together. It was a lot of fun because we have such different game styles. Like, mm-hmm. I'm more crafty, I would say, but she hits insanely hard. So she mm-hmm. was like setting me up like every shot. Her returns are unreal. She can like place it anywhere she wants. So it was really fun playing with her. I felt like I had a lot of opportunities at the net and we got along really well on the court. She's brings a lot of energy like I do too. So it was a lot of fun playing with her and I definitely want to play with her again. And I'm sure we will. Once all of this is over, we'll make that happen. Feisty team. <laughs> yeah. We just like build, and build on each other's energy and like we don't even realize how hype we are. <laughs> well, and Kat has like a way about her on the court too. She's like little, but like smacks the ball, double hands off both sides. As you can just see in her eyes, like, don't mess with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely feisty. So, oh, that's awesome. Now, uh, as we're recording this, we're still kind of in the middle of all this quarantine stuff. Tennis isn't completely open all over the world yet. But how have you guys been using this off time for your benefit? Um, I think I haven't had this much like downtime in a long time. Luckily, here where I live, where I'm staying at Satterbrook, there's a lot of open space, so I can make sure I can keep practicing and staying outdoors for some time. It's quiet. I don't really get out of the complex too much, so unless I really need to. But it's been great to be able to stay active and stay somewhat outdoors, although I just go out, get my workout down, and probably come inside. I've had plenty of time to work on my guitar. <laughs> uh, it's not great, but I love playing it. And Q, we're trying... Hugh has sung some of my some of the songs we play. Sometimes I call her and we can actually jam together, which is fun. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to get better at that. I've been reading a good book and talking to a friend about it, like a little mini book club kind of thing. Right. Which I never do. I need somebody to keep me accountable, so I keep reading. So that's been cool too, kind of different. I've done three puzzles so far. <laughs> two puzzles. Yeah, two puzzles. I'm about to start the third one. I love it. I've been playing games with my mom. What else? I need to take care of more responsibilities, but some of the fun <laughs> stuff, that's what that's what I've been doing. And it's been really fun. Can't complain, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, so I'm in New York, uh, kind of in a different situation. It snowed four days last week in a row. So ah. we're still having like really 
weather. It's been tough, but I've been getting outside when I can. Really haven't been able to hit much at all. A lot of the places are closed and obviously no indoor places are open. So it's been tough, but trying to do home workouts and doing some track workouts when I can get outside. And that's been fun. Been doing some duets with Louisa, like she said. My dad's been helping me learn the guitar and I'm terrible, but it's actually, it's killing time and it's been a lot of fun. And uh, just getting time to spend time with my family and my siblings are, were both home too. So that was a lot of fun. We just had like playing a ton of Catan, which is hilarious because I'm way too competitive for board games and they always ended in a fight almost every single time me and my sister just go at it. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Oh, we also played Code Names. Oh yeah, me and Louisa. Yeah, we played a lot of games. Yeah, there's this online game called Code Names, and me and Louisa and a couple other players, um, Francesca Di Lorenzo and Hunter Reese, we were playing this game called Code Names Online, and it's it, that was pretty fun. I'd never played that before, so you you nailed it the first time. Yeah, we crushed it, <laughs> and we, we beat them every time. So I hope they will. Be Place and code names. <laughs> I was gonna say, Quinn, have you been practicing the tiny pong? Actually, I did. I bought that on Amazon. It was like five dollars when I bought it, but since then it's gone up to like thirty bucks. I was oh, trying yeah. to get my friends to buy it, and I'm like, it's only five dollars, and they're like, no. But anyway, I like started learning tricks. I was like switching hands. I was like bored out of my mind trying to. Oh my gosh! Game, <laughs> driving my parents crazy with that like sound <laughs> all over the house. I don't know who has ours, but I think it must be Jay and Britt. But that, yeah, watching that video of you guys, I I still can't believe Marcos. <laughs> by one, by one, I can't believe it. What are the odds of beating somebody by one? Too, that's crazy. Honestly, like he made it look very casual, but I think he was counting in his head. Honestly, I bet he was. Yeah, maybe. He was. <laughs> and then he was like, "Okay, good." <laughs> I don't know. Just enough. Now, I this might be a little controversial, and I haven't talked to too many players about this, but I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts. There's been some stuff spiraling around about having the WTA and the ATP housed under one kind of um, name. Not, you know, not saying that women will be playing men on tour or anything, but like the ITF. The ITF operates under, as far as I know, the same rules on the men's and women's side. But the ATP and the WTA, they have different rules. They have different, you know, point systems. They have different tournament values and all that. What do you guys think about having one big housing for all the professional tennis? I like that idea, honestly. I think I think in the long run, it will be great. And I've been thinking a lot about it. I've been talking to some people about it. And I don't know. There's so many things involved, but I think it would be good for tennis, especially in the long run. There now in this downtime, I think it's a good time for players to get together and explore ideas and just ways to make tennis better, not just momentarily, but like in the future as well. Mm-hmm. So now it's a great time where people are kind of they have time and they can play. Most people, like most players, aren't, you're, we're not able to play on tour. Mm-hmm. So why not find ways to improve things that we haven't maybe have the time or we couldn't stop before to do it. And I think putting ATP WTA on the same, under the same roof, it will give us more like leadership and more centralized way, like a centralized system to organize things. Mm -hmm. And so it will bring more money to sport. I think you'll bring more popularity to the sport. Um, It will make more fun. I, I think. So I think if you put, 
the advantages of it and the disadvantages of it, I think tennis will win in general if if they do that. And I could go into more detail, but I need to make my thoughts clearer about it first. But I definitely think it's definitely a win for tennis in general, for both ATP, WTA players especially. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want. We want the sport to grow and we want more people getting involved. And I think having a unified leadership will definitely help us get there. And ideal, I think, in the future to one uh, organization, tennis being under one only organization. But I think that's a lot. It's like a long way from now. But hopefully we can get started and get things moving the right direction. But I think that's my opinion on it. Yeah, I agree with Luisa. I don't see, especially for the women, I think it would be really beneficial. And I think it would be really cool and just to get everybody on the same page and have the same systems because the boys, how they ascend through the rankings, it's a lot different than how the girls and all the different Mm -hmm. levels and prize money. And just to simplify that, I think would be better for fans better for like TV rights, all of that. It would just make things simpler and more accessible, I think. Yeah, I think I agree. I think it would be smart. So we'll see what will come out of it. Um, here's another interesting, potentially controversial question. Also, uh, through all of this, we've heard a lot of players talk about the money discrepancies, everyone inside the top 100, people outside the top 100. It's really hard to make a living if you're not in that top 100. And Luisa, you are in the top 100 right now in doubles. So, woo, woo. (laughs) And doubles players, it can be hard to make a living even when you are in the top 100. So maybe you guys can give me some insight on how you're handling it. If you're having any hardships or, you know, like things are working just fine. What you think, if you think there's any answers to this question, um, I know... I've talked to several people and I've seen a lot of articles with players trying to find like part-time jobs just to get a little extra money during this time. So how's it going for you guys? Yeah, I think one of the good things about unifying the sport or getting everybody united now is to fight for those those kind of things for the financial aspect of tennis because maybe top 100, 150, maybe even 200 have to scrape off to make a living out of it while the top, very top players, they do very well. but. I think it's important we try moving in the right direction where we can get more players playing tennis to not struggle so much on tour until they can actually make it. And even now being top 50 in doubles, I literally basically just got here right before this stopped. So it's not like you're making so much money that it's completely opposite. You've been on tour for me, for example, three, four years. And there's so much investments that go on with it in your team or in your practices, traveling, coaching, physios. I don't know if you if you get hurt, injuries. Everything costs so much in tennis in your whole career. So I think the public, sometimes they misunderstand how even when players are in the top 100, doesn't mean they're, they're making a living out of it. So many times they're just breaking even Mm -hmm. and usually you don't even do that you're just trying to grind week by week and so I think that's something we can look for change now and unify in a way that we can spread the prize money in a better in a more smarter way where more players can benefit from it and maybe that way make it easier for players to travel around and still be able to play and not kind of like take players out of the tour because of a financial issue. I think we should help because we want more players playing and people in the top 100 or higher ranked or whatever rank you are, you need 
the lower ranked players for the tour to be happening. We need that for the sport. So everybody's important. There's no, okay, we just care about the top players. And because they give viewership, they give more audience or TV or Grand Slams and stuff. But I think really we need, really need to think deeper in the root of the problem and the lower ranked players to get everybody a, to give everybody a chance. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot of players have to stop playing and give up on their dreams just because it's so expensive, and that's really sad to see, especially when they have a, like a really like they're very passionate about it or they really have a lot of potential, and to see like other people give up on it when it's it is it's really it's a tough sport because the expenses are so high and it's not like you're drafted to a team and they they cover the expenses it's all on the player so it definitely makes it tough and I think a change in the system would be really cool and definitely beneficial and you would see a lot lot more players be able to shoot up the rankings faster I would say because a lot of corners are cut if you can't cover the expenses you're you're not going to bring a coach. You're not going to get your racket strung as frequently, maybe. Like, that's mm-hmm. expensive, too. Mm-hmm. All those little things add up, and it makes it the, – obviously, the top 100 or top 10, they can be extremely professional with everything, like new rackets, new string, every, whenever they need it or anything like that. But if you're lower ranks, you kind of have to cut corners, and you kind of see that in results. I also think the player panel that – the ITF is kind of starting now would be a good way for that because then players will have a voice. And I think that's maybe where we start, where we have players giving their opinion, saying what they're going through. We have a voice and then we can bring that to our organizations because they are the ones running the tournaments, but we're the ones playing. So it's kind of like find a balance between finding what's good for us and then them helping us get there and also helping themselves. So it's kind of I think if we work together, we can find a balance and a good solution for all this. Now, can you explain a bit more about the ITF players panel? Is that something new that they're starting? They just announced it that they will have seven players for women, seven for men. Correct me if I'm wrong, Q, if you know more. But So apparently seven players, uh, 14 total players, just to be a voice on the council to represent players' voices. And they'll do regional candidates as well. Okay. And it's voted by anyone with an IPIN? Voted by players. So it's kind of new, but apparently players will be nominated. Whoever wants to be nominated, they can nominate themselves or you can nominate anybody. They'll have a, I think it's now in the end of May, they'll open for nominations. And then voting will start. Only players ranked, I think, above 300 will be able to vote. So there's a limit in the rankings of who can vote and who can be nominated might have some exceptions but um, that's where they're coming from so they want players that are in different rankings right now currently to represent the rest of the players on the ITF so if you're top 250 in the men you cannot be nominated and I think 150 in the girls you cannot be on the panel okay Quinn are you running no, I was actually, I was thinking of doing it, but my, du- and then I realized my doubles ranking was like a couple spots too high. Yeah, singles or doubles. Sorry. Yeah, singles or doubles. So I would qualify to do it for singles, but since my doubles ranking is a little bit out of the range, I can't, but it would be cool. I think it's a great idea to have the players have more say and kind of get more of their opinions out there because we kind of have lived through it, obviously, and we know a little bit more what goes on tour than the people who run it sometimes. For sure. Yeah, I think that's really cool that they are adding that. And I I honestly just wish that people knew more and they were more educated about the ITF because there's a lot of 
things that people don't realize or understand about the ITF tour either. Yeah. And there's like during season, there's literally so many ITF tournaments going on week in and week out all over the world. Yeah, I think people sometimes they don't know, but also players, I even include myself. We're really on our bubble of just playing and being there for tournaments and focused on our goals that we forget to look in the bigger picture and the political business side of things. We've been talking about that a lot lately. Mm. And it opened my eyes to a lot of different aspects of tennis in general. You know, it's not just go and play and hit the ball. <laughs> Obviously, that's what we want to do. And that's what we're working for. But I feel like if players, and I include myself in this, if I can learn more, if I'm aware of more of the information of what goes on behind the scenes, I think everybody will have a clear understanding of what's going on and also be able to have a better uh, opinion or like a more educated idea of what they want tennis to look like in the future. So it's something complex. I really am interested in that subject, but I would love to learn more and get more involved if I can. Yeah, I hope that we all take this time. I mean, like we all just keep saying that we have all this time to figure things out. And I hope that once everything does open back up, we don't forget about all the things that we really did want to push through and that like this still continues to push forward because I think this is an interesting point for tennis and I think honestly like the sport could be changing in front of our eyes right now obviously nothing's really happening with it right now but like when we come out of this it could be interesting to see how we come back out and if the tour changes if the format changes if, you know like all kinds of things how traveling is going to change for tournament to tournament how the fan experience might change just kind of a lot of things I think there's a lot of things out of our control now, and I, I wonder what it would look like as well. Yeah. It would be different, that's for sure. Yeah. Any other, like, hot topics you guys want to chat about? <laughs> Q, being put on the spot. <laughs> you posted some dance moves today on Instagram. I saw those. There's some sort of dance competition going on at Saddlebrook. No, so it's International uh, Dance Day, actually. And the WTA, WTA for Love charity, they're donating $100 for each video. Everyone posts, especially the girls, obviously, on tour, uh, posts for the Special Olympics. So it's a really cool cause. It's a really cool idea. So that's why I brought my dance moves. It's a really good cause for me to do that because, you know, I wouldn't do that often. <laughs> but it was very fun. I actually ended up doing with Gabby and she pushed me to do it. And I think I wouldn't have done it. I mean, I would I probably would have still have done it without her. But it was definitely way more fun now that we did it together and <laughs> we just released it. So it's fun. And I, you should do it too, Q. After this, I'll check out your Instagram. You better, <laughs> you better put something there. <laughs> dancing is my strong suit not the best of that hey me neither <laughs> it turned out great um I was gonna ask you guys though both of you are pretty athletic I would say you're uh it seems like you enjoy doing things off the court as well so what's your favorite way to work out off the court I know Louisa we just posted your soccer ball warm-up video so I know you're a big soccer fan yes I love playing soccer I love playing any sports when I used to travel Mario Kio we used to take the football the actual American football to toss it around before practices but I love I love fitness I love any kind of workout to be honest I just I like circuits but I like to keep it fun keep it different whatever it is other sports are definitely my favorite thing I guess yeah just being outside I'm like I love being outside and I was always that kid that was playing like every sport so <laughs> running around the neighborhood playing sports and playing football with Lou is one of my favorites like 
especially on the Indian Wells grass, that nice mm. grass, getting the football going out there. Yeah, that's an awesome time. And I also love the beach. Anything on the beach is a fun workout. Even if it's a workout at the beach, it just makes it so much better. Yeah, Lou did. Lou and I did some beach workouts last preseason. I was at Saddlebrook with her, and that was fun. Dang. Like, anything on the beach plus a workout is usually hardcore. <laughs> Yeah, but the beach makes it more bearable. That's true. Especially if you can jump in the water or something. Maybe not in Cali because it's freezing. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, I have kind of, it's not a fun question per se, but I've been enjoying asking this question to people and you'll both have to give me your answers. What has been the worst day of your career and what has been the best day of your career? (sighs) I think it's so hard to choose one day. (laughs) So one of my best days, I would say, was winning my first title. Okay. Because I did a couple finals, and I lost like 10-8 in a tiebreaker in the final, I think twice. And then getting my first title, I played with Chrissy on, and we won an 80K. And I was like super pumped. And that was, yeah, just a great day. There's so many days I love. <laughs> I can't choose one. But I think last year, when we were in Peru for Pan American Games, we won the bronze medal. Me and Carolina, my partner. And it was just a cool day because uh, João, the player from Brazil who was playing singles, he won the gold medal as well. And so I think it was a really cool vibe that day. It was just kind of like mission accomplished. We're done now. But like the whole week finishing like that, the whole team, it was really tiring. I think we all were really tired. But looking back, it was a really cool feeling and like a very special day for me. Lou, toughest day on tour. What's yours? Yeah. That's what come up with. I feel like every loss, once you get it, like it feels like the worst loss ever. Every single one. The last one's always the worst one. The one that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is like the worst right now because you're like stuck with that last no, loss. My <laughs> last match is still haunting me. <laughs> it's been like three months. And you're like, ah. Honestly. <laughs> I can't pick a, ro- a worse day, honestly. I mean, that's good, maybe. Oh. Maybe a really bad travel day. Oh. Mm, yeah, I've had mm, Okay, so I had Haley and I. We were traveling from uh, Linz. Yeah, Linz, Austria to Luxembourg. So we had like a four-hour bus ride, I think, from Linz to Munich, I want to say. And then we decided to take the train, which was like a 10-hour late-night train, like we said, to cut on costs and stuff. But like... It's just easier than flying. Flying would have to get to the airport and bags and all that. So we're like, okay, the train, you can lie down, you can sleep, it'll be fine. But it ended up being freezing on that train. And I was cold the whole night and it was just miserable. And I was like, hey, I really like, I liked the idea because I love kind of like doing stuff like that, different and grinding a bit. But that was just, that sucked. That trip sucked. <laughs> I would do it again. I would do the train ride, but I would definitely be more prepared for it. That traveling day destroyed me. I was so tired after. <laughs> that sounds horrible. I actually don't think I would be happy with that either. I hate being cold, but that's just me. Who is a player on tour that inspires you? I feel like everybody inspires me. I, like I did preseason at USDA this past December, and I was just impressed at how hard everyone works. And everyone is just like really dedicated. And everyone is, I was, I was blown away. I, I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever been surrounded by so many hardworking individuals. It was super inspiring. And I loved being there. It was such a cool environment. Everyone was really bringing their best every day. That's cool. I'll try to think of an individual. Lou, do you have one? I think people inspire me in different ways. One that it's it recently just it popped in my head just now because I'd say Andrescu. 
I think we played juniors. I think she's a little younger than me, but I started playing juniors and all that. And last year, last year or two years ago, she had that amazing year last year. And she just climbed up the rankings. I think I like her game. I like her personality too. And I recently heard her podcast and she was talking about her feelings and what she does and stuff. And I thought it was really cool. She has a really cool, cool vibe and like the activities she does in uh, visualization, meditation or her feelings when she was playing the US Open. And I thought that was really cool. And that inspired me like right off on the spot. And But I think also some friends... I think Bia, one of my closest friends from Brazil as well. She's gone through a lot, a lot of injuries, a lot of challenges, and she's still pushing. She still has such a great personality and character, and she's going to come back and play soon. So she's a great friend and also a really – she takes life with a lot of like fun, even though she's gone through a lot of stuff. So I think that's pretty inspiring to me as well. Yeah. Constantly inspired, inspired by everyone around me, all the girls at the tournaments. Everybody's really giving it their all and going after their dreams. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, and it's cool to hear that because you can kind of see there's like a collective group of hustlers right now, or at least it seems, I don't know. And it does seem like everyone is hustling and like doing what they can to be the best version of themselves. So that's awesome and really I feel like Quinn should also be running for president. <laughs> You've got great. <laughs> Everyone inspires me. Like, it's very, like, That's really you like, ins- your answers, like, inspire me. Like, I want to go play tennis now. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. I miss it so much. Oh, I can't, oh, I- like, really, like, I really miss improving every day. Like, striving for something and I don't know just having that satisfaction at the end of the day that you got a little bit better at what you love I really miss that so excited to get back to that I have to be honest for just my own perspective uh the quarantine's been pretty rough like mentally for me and I hadn't been playing any tennis and just the last couple days I'm back on the court and I've never been so happy to hit a tennis ball the first day I was back on the court I did not yell at myself I did not berate myself which is like a normal occurrence And it's just like, I've completely shifted my mindset. And I'm like, you know what, what if I just don't get mad at myself for missing a forehand or (laughs) double faulting? And like, I'm really trying to like carry that into life moving forward. Have you guys had I I know you guys, Quinn, you haven't been hitting but Louis or as much at least Louisa, you have been able to hit. Have you had any like moments of like, okay, I can change my mental side of this and like be stronger? Yeah, for sure. I think mental side is always tough. I'm not going to say I wasn't negative at all the first time I hit. Or even today I played points in singles especially. And I wasn't happy the whole time, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean, I was really glad I was I'm able to play. Like really grateful and stuff. But it's also some... I would think, okay, you can't play for a while. So you come back, you'll be really excited to play. And I am. And it's so nice to be able to hit but at the same time I feel like I'm still myself and being kind of hard on myself on like wanting to do the right things and how I want to play and all that so it's kind of yeah it's a mix a mixture of feelings but it's so rewarding to just go back and also practice with not so much pressure I felt that Mm. crazy difference whereas I don't know if you're in between tournaments you have two weeks to practice and you're just going to practice focusing on what you're going to do at the tournament. Maybe you're not feeling a shot or something and you're caring or worrying about it without even the need to. And I feel like now, if the tournament starts in July and I'm practicing now, it's like, okay, I want to work on this. But then it's like, 
Okay. Like if I don't get this done in two days, still you would want to get it done as soon as possible. But there's not that unconscious pressure that I think I realized it's definitely there when the tour is normal and when you know other people are practicing but you're not getting things done I think there's so many different mind games that go on with with this break but I'll definitely try to take it as in, in a positive way as possible yeah I'd like to think that I'll come out of this with a lot more gratitude when I'm on the court I'll just be really happy to be playing again and uh, I can't wait to compete again, honestly. I think that's what I miss the most and just being active outside. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think when I have been able to hit, my practices have been more for like almost enjoyment, the love of the sport than like, I'm not trying to do like the crazy hard drills or I'm not preparing for an immediate tournament. So it's like, I'm kind of coming back to my roots and remembering why I really like playing tennis in the first place. See, that's inspiring. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Like, this is such an interesting time that like to come out of this mentally strong and ready to go and ready to compete, even when you haven't been able to compete will be it will be fun and interesting to watch how it all unfolds for everyone. Yeah, I feel like that first tournament back, everyone is going to be so pumped. I feel like everybody's going to be so hungry. It'll be it'll be cool to see. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I really don't know what to expect. We'll see. I'm excited for it, though. You don't know when you'll be. The uncertainty is crazy. But I'm excited for it wherever it is, whenever it is. You'll be there. (laughs) I'll be there. They should just do like a massive international like tennis ladder, like compass draw. Anyone that's ranked anything can enter and like everyone plays it out. That'd be awesome. (laughs) That would be crazy. That would be fun. Best advice for anyone dealing with a tough time. It can be tennis related or not. (laughs) Sometimes the tough time creeps into our tennis. Sometimes our tough time with tennis creeps into other life. Um, I'd say hold tight. I think you're not alone. So um, there's so many more people that are probably going through the same thing that you are. And so we should rely on other people or rely on other people that can help us and be open about it. Like, don't feel bad if you're not feeling great. Nobody feels great all the time. And so I'd say use your family, friends or peers or anybody that you think can help you and be kind to yourself. Like, be nice to yourself as you want people to be nice to you. And I think I'll finish there. Just be good to yourself. Make sure you treat yourself better than anybody else does. And that will that will come around. The universe will treat you well. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I I started journaling every day and I think that's kinda helped me in the morning. Like I have no regimen like right now. I'm I can wake up whenever I don't really have a schedule. So what I've been doing is like I just wake up and write down a couple goals for the day, even if they're like nothing, like jump rope for five minutes, that kind of thing. Just kind of gives me a sense of accomplishment, that type mm-hmm. of stuff. And trying to read a little bit more. I just read The Alchemist, which I really liked. I would recommend that if anybody. It's my favorite book. Really? Nice. <laughs> yes, you can see in my bios. Yeah, it's awesome. And I read The Obstacle is the Way. Also would recommend that. But Oh, my gosh. My my mentor like basically like that's what he always is saying to me <laughs> that's how this the, no but that's how this podcast started <laughs> audiobook I like to like put on the audiobook and then just like go for a walk even I don't know mm-hmm. okay I have to get I have to it's that's a sign you yeah. said that one I've been reading also the saint the surfer and the ceo by Robin Robin Sharma it's also along those lines and it's a very good book I definitely recommend it. it's very practical too so it's kind of cool Nice. Oh, I love this kind of stuff. I could keep talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah, I 
recommendations. It's been, I honestly have been like reading almost every day, which is new for me. So really, yeah. I mean, I feel like I just got away from it in college where I wasn't reading as much, just like textbooks. You're busy. So you kind of get away from like pleasure reading or, but I've really enjoyed, I really like those mindset books. I think it's, those are really cool. Do you guys have any athletes outside of tennis that inspire you? Tim Tebow. I read his book Shattered and I loved it. So I would definitely recommend that book. I think all around he is our super inspiring guy. Big fan. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I've been watching a lot of uh, documentaries. It's not really, I don't know if you could call him an athlete, but the guy from the Dawn Wall. I think that's really cool. I don't know if you've seen the documentary. The guy's hiking and he climbs the big mountain in the Yosemite. El Capitan, our free solo, those videos are too inspiring, but that's it's kind of like almost not relatable because it's out of this world. But I love Bolt. I watched his documentary. I think the guy is so much success, but he, he's really chill too. So I kind of like, I think there's so many athletes that I look up to or inspire me. I'm surprised I can't think of one right now. <laughs> my favorite. I think there's so many that I love. Luisa loves LeBron. I know you love LeBron. <laughs> I do love LeBron. Really? Yeah. He's probably, yeah. And Conor McGregor. Luisa loves Conor McGregor. <laughs> I do love Conor McGregor too. I love David Beckham too. I love watching nice. documentaries, videos and everything. Um, in the women, oh, Bethany Hamilton, oh, yeah. amazing movie as well. She inspires me because I love her lifestyle. I love that she's a surfer. I love she went through adversity and still got through so much and accomplished what she wanted. She's so, like, driven. She has a beautiful family. And, I mean, I would love that lifestyle. I mean, she's amazing. That Yeah, I think she inspired me recently, especially, too. So that's really cool. Nice. I need to watch that movie. I just saw it the other day and I was like, oh, I got to add that to my queue. Yeah, it was awesome. I loved it. Cool. Okay. A couple more questions and we'll get this wrapped up. What is your quarantine must-haves as far as tennis gear and if you have a favorite quarantine snack? So basically just run me through your gear check at the moment and what you're playing with. And like what you're like, Quinn, someone like you, you haven't been able to practice every day. Maybe you're coming out of quarantine looking for a new racket. I don't know. <laughs> Good idea. I, so I, they stopped making the racket I currently use, the Pure Arrow Tour. I'm like very attached to it. So it's probably a good time to kind of figure out a new racket to use. But that's what I'm using right now. And I would say the food I'm most eating the most is hummus <laughs> and guacamole. Those, those two are my favorites. Me and Luke kind of bond over the hummus. We do. I just saw a new one from Trader Joe's. There was like a pickle hummus. I don't know. I don't know. I like the pine nut hummus. I love- okay. Yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> no, it's, um, my gear, I think, is the same. I've been trying to. I love, I'm wearing a friend's shirt, which is probably my favorite. <laughs> I've been wearing all my workout clothes because I've been working out every day. So the same. I try to change it, but it can eat. When you travel, I'm only I only take maybe well, like ten outfits or something. But now I'm trying to like mix it up and keep it different. And for snacks, I love pancakes. These healthy pancakes that are it's so easy to make in the morning. It's basically like three spoons. I'll give you the rest because I know by it's in my brain now. <laughs> but it's three spoons of oatmeal, one egg. You can adapt if you're vegan or something. Touch of vanilla extract cinnamon and a little bit of milk any kind of milk you can do i do almond milk oh and sorry half a banana and that's that's what i was gonna say i'm like i think there's bananas also yes yes yes. it's a banana pancake and then i just add fresh berries or 
frozen berries on it. And then if you want to top it off with a little chia pudding, a little bit, that's, wow, ideal Fancy. for my morning. Lou, I'm coming over. Yeah. You're making me pain. <laughs> I will. Come Good. On. I just got hungry. I don't know about you guys. You're Same. <laughs> my whole description. <laughs> I'm like, I think I have those ingredients at home. Yeah. What am I having for dinner? <laughs> super easy. You got to do it. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm in. And like maybe some peanut butter on top. Yum. Yeah. Or all the butter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Last and final question. What legacy do you want to leave behind? I think that's a good thing to reflect on too. It kind of points you in the direction of where you want to improve. But um, I want to be remembered as somebody who works hard, treats their teammates or practice partners with respect, has good energy, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you're nailing that. So <laughs> you can check that off. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd say I want to impact people's lives in a positive way. I think if I can make a difference in one person, great. If I can make it in so many more, much more, then also even better. But I think I want to make a positive impact in the people that I meet or the people that I, especially the people that I meet or I see every day or people that I don't even know. I think that's one of the coolest things about being an athlete especially if you're a very successful one, even if you're or not, it doesn't matter. I think you're still can empower different people without even knowing them. And I think you, you should use it in a good way. I think that I should try to use that in the best way I can. So that's what I would do. I love that. And I also like have to let you guys know, I think there's so many people that you probably inspire that you have no idea. Like maybe you've never met them. Maybe they just follow you on Instagram. But like, I'm sure I know, I know your work ethics, both of you. And I know like you're awesome people. So that just remember, you're always inspiring so many people, even through the tough times and the quarantine. (laughs) uh, Where can people follow you on Instagram? Or I don't know if you guys use Twitter or where are all your social channels? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Quinn underscore Gleason. And I have Twitter, but I don't use it that much. So probably just stick with Instagram. Yeah, my Instagram is just at Louisa Stefani. Same on Facebook. And on Twitter, I'm Louisa underscore underscore Stefani. But I think if you just type Louisa Stefani, you'll find me anywhere, I guess. <laughs> Easy. Well, thanks, you guys, for joining me. I am so excited that I got to chat with you. I miss you guys. I wish we could have done this in person. I am excited to see how you guys both come out of this and what comes next for both of you. So I'm really stoked for your future. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. That was a lot of fun. Yay. Thank you. It's great talking to you and seeing you from a distance. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com, and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, happy hitting. Quinn Gleason. I can't even say your name. That was a mix between Gleason and Louisa. Quinn Stefani. Yes. Oh, goodness. We had some technical difficulties, so we're like raining it back in. Welcome to the podcast, Quinn Gleason and Louisa Stefani. Thanks for having us.